Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way, and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ex surga deus disipentur inimici eus, et fugiancio derunteum a face eus. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered and let all those who hate him flee from before his face. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancta Michael Arcangle, defendenos in proelio. Contra nequitiam et insidias, diaboli esto praesidium. Imperatuli Deus, supplicus de precamur, tuque princeps militae calestis, satanam aliosque spiritus malignos quer perditionem animarum, pervegantur in mundo divina virtute in infernum netrude. Amen. Coriesu sacratissimum miserere nobis, mater dolorosa ora pro nobis, sancti Iosef ora pro nobis, beatis carolus e domo Austriae ora pro nobis. Domine ostende facium tuum et salvierimus, Ave Maria Purissima, Immaculata Conceptio Est. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. <clears throat> I think probably the best thing I could have done was stick a, uh, a picture of the Holy Family with St. Joseph holding the child Jesus and standing next to the Blessed Mother, um, surrounded by angels with a scroll say, that says, Ite ad Joseph. I think that might have been the best move ever. Because it gives me something to actually look at when I start talking about the church. And there's nothing that quite symbolizes the Holy Family, quite or quite symbolizes the church, quite so much as the Holy Family. <clears throat> the, the topic for today, I didn't actually want to talk about this topic, but as I was scrolling through everything else and realized that I didn't really want to talk about anything else either is going to be the recent letter from Archbishop Carlo Maria Viganò, asking pointedly the question that has been on a lot of Catholics' minds. Is Benedict XVI still Pope? I have accidentally, well not accidentally, incidentally done a lot of research, which is to say that it was incidental to other research that I was doing that I ended up actually finding out a lot of information on the topic. There are legitimate questions. There's a question as to the legitimacy of the letter, which um, has something, uh, has a reference to the munis, um, having to do with uh, part of the office of the Pope that he um, that uh, Benedict said that he did not relinquish. And I would argue to a degree that um, there's kind of no way around that part, um, given the fact that he took to a life to a retreat into a life of prayer. Um, but there's a, you know, there's the hypothesis saying that it, there was a bifurcation of the papacy. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of talk about the validity of the election of Jorge Mario Bergoglio um, and, his, and his being elected to the papacy. There's a lot. And then when you add that to the fact that, that um, Francis has been a unmitigated dumpster fire, um, his papacy has been an unmitigated dumpster fire uh, for the last nine years. It obviously stands to reason that there's a lot to talk about with this. And included in this, I mean, let's face it, there's about 30 different arguments, all of them to all, all of the, there's at least 30 different arguments on how we can manage to depose Pope Francis 
um, from the papacy, etc. And in this, I would actually tend to agree with John Coleman that I think the Catholic Church has backed itself into a corner and we've sort of become um, excessively legalistic and it has not afforded us the spiritual mobility. And dare I say, there's a certain rigidity to the Catholic Church in the aftermath of the First Vatican Council that was only ossified further by the Second Vatican Council. If you look at the documents, the documentation, um, and all of the recorded stuff about the Second Vatican Council, which is to say, um, principally, I would go with the Catechism of the Catholic Church, that big green book that is, in and of itself, um, abominable for many reasons, the least of which, unironically, are theological. (laughs) And I know I'm going to get a lot of pushback. I'm like, oh, it says this, that, and the other. Yeah, that's not precisely theological. I would argue that it's ecclesiological uh, uh, standing, all of the statements that it makes about ecclesiology, is by far worse. And as soon as I get the rest of the other 800 episodes uploaded back onto the podcast... Um, and get them converted into MP3 format so you guys can go through the whole library, um, you'll have an opportunity to actually look again at all of those. And I will tell you, I was talking about ecclesiology before I even knew that there was a word, ecclesiology. One of the mistakes that I said that uh, at least came out of the Second Vatican Council was the was the narrowing down of holy orders from going from like the long process that goes from the tonsure to the porter to the lector to the uh, to the exorcist to the acolyte uh, subdeacon deacon priest. Um, they reduced that, and they didn't really. And while you still have all of the levels of the holy orders, they don't they don't confer the tonsure anymore. And holy orders is now post Vatican II deacon, priest, bishop. Well, there's a bit of a problem here. Because in trying to sort of absorb all of that up, and I talked about this in the past, even though I know right now you probably can't access the episodes. I talked about it in the past, that once they withdrew holy orders from really kind of putting out the minor orders... What ends up happening now is the priests don't don't get proper formation over the long period of time that they really ought to. Now, a priest is a deacon, a subdeacon, an acolyte, uh, an acolyte, an exorcist, porter, etc., like all the way down the line. Like included into once once a man becomes a priest, they are also all of those other things. But there are none of those other things. The priest can now act in all of in all of those capacities, but there is nobody beyond the priest who can act in all of the rest of those capacities. And so they instituted the altar boy thing, and so you have altar boys who basically have dispensations to be to do most of the other stuff. But that's not what holy orders was stretched out like that for. Holy Orders was stretched out for several reasons. One, you could argue, and I'm going to I'm going to compare the minor orders as an apprenticeship. So, you start out as a novice. So you go from novice, so you go from novice and then, you know, apprentice, then journeyman. And as a journeyman, that's actually when you reach up into your own, and then eventually you become, a, and then eventually you sc- you scale up and you become a master. Okay. Now the priest is most definitely the master. The deacon then becomes the journeyman. But you still have the novice and the apprentice, and there's a whole lot of spread out, and there's a lot to the priesthood. That you really shouldn't just be cramming down someone's throat all in like a couple of years. It also does the other thing. So, 
a lot of people fail to realize in particular because the western world is largely regarded that somewhere between like the ages of like 16 7 16 and 20 depending on the nation in the, obviously in the united states and us being the most loud obnoxious people on earth um in the united states it's 18 okay well 18 is adulthood for protestant seculars for protestants seculars and generally everybody who doesn't really give a crap now, I'm about to say something that's going to be painful to hear, but in the Catholic world, your adulthood starts at your confirmation at 13. Let me say that again. In the Catholic world, traditionally, your adulthood starts at your confirmation which typically happens right around 12 years old going into 13. Now, why is this important? This is important because a confirmed Catholic can receive a tonsure. A confirmed Catholic can become a porter. A confirmed Catholic can become Elector, an acolyte, an exorcist, a subdeacon. A confirmed Catholic is officially a military member of the body of Christ. Now, the reason why I say that this is painful to hear is because... While most monasteries won't bring you in, like while most cloisters and monasteries won't bring you in prior to the age of 16, a confirmed Catholic can begin their diocesan education for the priesthood in high school. That was always the historic trend. Now, what does that mean? Well, I'll put it this way. At the age of 12, I joined the Civil Air Patrol. For those of you who don't know what the Civil Air Patrol is, it is an auxiliary of the United States Air Force. I went from Civil Air Patrol to Air Force Junior ROTC. I went from Air Force Junior ROTC into the military. And then I served in the military for a career until my political ouster or I should say until my ouster due to political circumstances which those of you who are going through the COVID-19 political ouster right now can certainly understand why is this important because if I'd have been a confirmed Catholic serving as an altar boy, I might have gone into the priesthood. But if I was a confirmed Catholic in the 1900s, or not 19, excuse me, not 19, I meant to say 19th century, then it is likely that if I was serving as an altar boy, it's because I was pursuing religious life. And I would have more than enough time to assist at Mass, to learn theology, to do all of those things. To do all of the things that were vitally important to become a priest. What do we keep praying? Okay, if you're a traditional Catholic, um, and say you attend a chapel at the Society of St. Pius X, or Fraternal Society of St. Peter, or the Institute of Christ the King, or the Institute of the Good Shepherd. They pray. After the rosary, you go through some other prayers, some parish-specific stuff, but somewhere in there, you get the prayer. Lord, grant us priests. Lord, grant us, grant us many priests. Or holy priests. Lord, grant us many holy priests. Lord, grant us many holy religious vocations. 
Well, how are you going to do that? If you don't put that seed on the soil that is your son's brain early. You see, planting time is in the spring. And harvest time approaches the fall. Autumn. So so planting time is a time of youth. And the harvest comes at full age. But if you never plant the seed, or I should say, let me, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and quote Yoda. If you wait to plant the seed until they're 17, 18 years old, they are too old, too old to begin the trading. Because the life as a Catholic is not an easy life. In point of fact, you could argue, actually, I'm going to go ahead and make this, I'm going to lean in and make this argument. For all of the foibles of Star Wars analogies, we're leaning into this one. If the priest can be compared to anything, he can be compared to the Jedi. It is the priest who actually wields the lightsaber that is the sacraments and the sacramentals. It's the priest. It's the priest who is the arbiter after a manner when you go to confession. I mean, it's in persona Christi as the sacrament goes, and, and don't get it twisted. But it is the priest who is the one who's there. In your fight with the devil, in your fight with the world, in your fight against your own flesh, it is the priest who is there. No attachments, no worldly attachments, just the mission to know, love, and serve God, to feed God's people to be a shepherd to God's people. In the same way that the Jedi guided the Republic up until, you know, they got stupid. And to be sure, something similar is obviously happening in the church. But in the same way that the Jedi guide the Republic, the priesthood guides the body of Christ. And you have to start early. The habits necessary to live a life of detachment have to start early. And we as Catholics, those of us who are living in the 21st century, the first thing we have to do is we have to shake ourselves out of the fact that we believe that adulthood doesn't start until at least 18, if not 21. Some people are dumb enough to think it starts at 25. All of these answers are wrong. Maturity begins at the age of reason. Well, the age of reason is right around age seven or eight. Five years into the age of reason is certainly long enough. And getting them ready at age, you know, right when they're going into puberty, by, by, excuse me, not by, getting them ready as they're going into puberty by developing the habits of self-control in all of its forms, by by developing the virtues, most in particular, the ones that are geared to fight specifically against pride. And any of you who've ever met a teenager, you know a teenager, which is a 20th century Protestant invention. Any of you who've ever met a teenager, you know good and well, they basically have two sins always floating around their brains. Lust and pride. You get occasionally envy. It's actually increasing nowadays, uh, particularly with public education. 
You get occasionally some of the other stuff, but you get pride and you get pride and lust first. You get sloth comes in right behind it. Those of you who are parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For those of you who are parents who are about to be parents of teenagers, you know exactly what terrifies you the most is when they get arrogant and they start thinking they know everything and they start getting super lazy and they start getting well, you know, digging their, pushing their face deeper and deeper into that little black screen called their phone, probably because they've been watching pornography for several years. These are hard facts to deal with, but they are still true. If you start them early, they already have the virtues in place. And you get, surprisingly, your holy priests. But how many of us want to raise kids to be able to raise our kids so that they have kids, etc., etc.? Where, where exactly is the new priesthood supposed to come from? Well, it's certainly not coming from the structure of the way the Catholic Church is today. And this was one of those ecclesiological mistakes made. And that's a fact. It is a fact. Is the church going to fix it? No idea. Is society St. Pius X going to fix it? Probably doubt it because, I mean, you know, let's be real. Every one of the, let's be blunt. Whether you're SSPX, FSSP, ICKSP, or IGS, you're not equipped you're not equipped to start training your priests young. You're just not. And we're not equipped as Catholics to send off our kids to become priests young. And I say send off, it obviously doesn't mean that you're going to send your kids off. But this dearth of priests is not going to be filled in if we don't do something about it. And we needed to start doing something about it 20 years ago, but we didn't. And we didn't because the church decided that there are three levels of holy orders instead of seven. That you no longer have the minor exorcists standing outside the door waiting to pray with people as they come into the church. You no longer have the porter standing at the door guarding the church. You no longer have the lector available to help with catechesis. You no longer have any of these very, very important people in your parish. None of them. You don't have these men in your parish. They don't exist. What do we have in the common, in the average Catholic parish today? We whether, and I've seen it even in, trad, in, even in trad parishes, you still have Susan from the parish council. Because where's Bill? Bill still lets his wife lead it. Bill doesn't make sure that, his, that he's at least preparing one of his children to go into the priesthood. Bill isn't interested necessarily in watching daddy's little girl go into the cloister. And that is an error. It's not just an error. There's a degree to which I would call it actually a grievous sin. But it's not anything that we can do a whole lot about because where are the teachers? Where are the priests and the nuns who are going to teach the kids of the next generation? Well, most of the nuns have taken off the habit and dyed their hair purple. The other ones who were actually good for the job are doing everything that they can to try and maintain their contemplative life in an age of traditionis custodis and all this crazy that's been going on. So we have a dearth 
of good people to actually pass the torch. I would be worried that the torch was going to be extinguished if it wasn't the church founded by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would be worried about it had he not himself said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I would be worried. I'm not worried because our Lord gets the victory. And whatever it is that it looks like at the end, well, that's up to him anyway. But there are a lot of people out there who just aren't doing it right. There are some who are. I was very, very pleased to see in my local parish a young man of maybe maybe seven or eight years old, maybe. Well, actually, he would have to have already had communion. So, eight, maybe nine years old. I was happy to see this young man looking like he was definitely making a beeline to become an altar Christus. One. I was still happy to see one, but just one. I'm hoping in the parish that I attend that the young man who spoke who spoke to uh, Father about serving at the altar, I pray that he does. Again, young, um, I would guess probably maybe 10 or 11. But again, one. Is that going to be enough? Probably not. I don't care if Pope Francis is the Pope or not. I don't. I care about the church restoring some of the traditions. I care about the church starting earlier with the tonsure and actually bestowing the tonsure because a parish with a priest even if he doesn't have a deacon could at least manage to get Porter, Lecter, Acolyte, Exorcist. Would that not be better? In so many churches, having a family that maybe provides, you know, two or three sons, a couple of families that provide... Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. At at least one... Because we've got to get past a few other really nasty things. We have to get past the idea that that a youngin, teenager, whether boy or girl, has to, quote-unquote, sow their royal oats or wild oats or whatever. I don't really know how the phrase goes. It's a stupid phrase anyway. But we have to, co- we have to come away from that first. Oh, well, go out and live your life. No. Because go out and live your life means go out and kill your soul. 100% of the time, that's what it means. It means go out into the world and let the world kill your soul. 
develop all of the bad habits that pretty much guarantee that you will not be pure. That you will not be a holy offering to the Lord. I wish... I wish a bunch of stuff. But the worst piece of advice that I ever got from my mother was go out and live your life first before you start talking about going to seminary. <clears throat> and I know that God's going to hold her to account for that one because that's a big one. She didn't put it into my heart that I should serve God. God put it into my heart that I should serve God. And I didn't. I mean, granted, it would have been, I probably wouldn't, it wouldn't have actually been serving God anyway. Um, I was a Protestant at the time. But it's a horrifying statement. So I went into the military anyway. I went into the military because, well, I was going to serve something. And it was going to be bigger than me. And if it wasn't going to be to serve God, then I'd serve my country. Why not? Do you see the do you see the flaws? It made sense that I would go into service. I was wearing a military uniform at age 12. To put that in perspective, that is now this October 31 years ago. And I wore a military uniform all the way up until age 33, 34. <clears throat> would that we had some parents who would encourage their children to put on habits and cassocks. Would that we had a Pope that wasn't about responding to the lack of priests by pushing the priest's job onto the laity. Although, <clears throat> not to put too fine a point on it, Every time I say something like that, I still get the echo. The echo in the back of my mind of somebody very high up saying something to the effect of, we are priests, we are prophets, and we are kings. And I also remember that in the book of Samuel, when, when Israel asked for a king, God told Samuel, look, go ahead and give them what they want. It's not you that they're rejecting. It's me. And maybe it took 3,000 years to get it back to the point where the Catholic, the believer himself, the head of the family, the head of the household, the man in charge, the husband and father would actually pick up his role. The one that he was supposed to have when our Lord was bringing his people Israel out of Egypt. I'm going to give you a quick history lesson with scripture. Coming out of Egypt... They weren't supposed to be priests. It was the head of every family who was supposed to be the priest. But the people sinned. And so they had the Levites. And the Levites became the priests. Because, every, because the head of every family couldn't be trusted.
But that was as much as God really kind of wanted to put into place. He didn't even, God didn't even really want to put that into place. He called his people out to be a nation of priests to the world. That was his intent behind Israel. He chose them as a priestly nation. They couldn't really do it. So he chose a tribe out of, out of the nation to be the priests for the nation in hopes to guide the people into being a priestly nation. And he would rule them as his king, as their king, excuse me. And then they looked at Samuel and said, give us a king. I mean, they got through the time of the judges from the book of Joshua. I mean, I mean, you come, you come out from Exodus, you know, you come out from Exodus and then you finish out and you, and you land into the book of Joshua. And then after Joshua, you get judges and judges. I mean, it was literally, how did they, it was like one of the last lines. This was the time of the judges when every man did as he saw right or something like that did what was right in his own eyes. And then they asked for a king. And God told the people, your king's going to be a douche and he's going to and he's going to oppress you. And you guys were actually called to all be kings. Priest, prophet and king. But they couldn't do but they couldn't do the priest thing, right? So they had priests chosen from among them. And they couldn't really do the king thing right, and so God anointed his king. And through the course of time, through the whole course of time, God called out his prophets. But a lot of people fail to realize that prophets didn't tell the future. It's not like they were oracles. Prophets recalled the history. recalled the truth, put the law into context, and using that, proclaimed what was going to happen if God's people Israel continued to reject God. And then, occasionally, God would call upon one of them and say, okay, tell my people I'm about to mess them up. I'm about to people's elbow my people because they refuse to hearken to my call. And that carried on for a while. And then God said, you know what? I'm going to reestablish my kingdom on earth. And so I'm going to become man and we're going to cleanse this whole thing. And I'm going to offer myself up because I'm pretty much the only thing worthy to be offered up because, well, Lord knows it's none of them. And it's definitely not cows and sheep and doves and any animal. So we're going to do this right. And we're going to do this right finally. And so God shows up on the scene in the flesh. And then teaches yet again that if you believe in Christ, your patrimony is to be priest prophet, and king to the world. Exactly what he called his people Israel out. Exactly what he called out for them. Priest, prophet, and king to the world. And what have we done this time? I'm not so sure it was God who narrowed it all up. This time, we went ahead and did it ourselves. And in the last 100 years, we abandoned the battlefield, knowing full well that at least in this era that we know we are fighting the, war, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we abandoned the battlefield. Consolidated power. And over the last 200 years, 300 years, in the Catholic Church, that's what we've done. We got duped into consolidating power. Now we argue about all these legalistic things. We argue, is Benedict, is Benedict still the Pope? Can a, can a heretic be Pope? 
And I will tell you this, every one of us knows it in our hearts. We know what those answers are in our hearts. If there is any question, then it needs to be looked at. And so long as it's not looked at, the people who choose to not look at it are culpable. And that's it. <clears throat> oh, they're going to Well, it's, you know, it falls to it falls to the church hierarchy, which has proven itself over the last 100 years to be less than trustworthy. But it's not like it's the first time they've proven themselves to be less than trustworthy. The difference is is over the last 100 100 150 years, the hierarchy has managed to consolidate the power to themselves that did not, was never codified like that. And now that they are, in fact, provably untrustworthy, there is no mechanism to correct it. We have negotiated our way out of a legal, licit, valid way of doing it. And the only real way left is what? You tell me, how do we go about deposing the cardinals who were, who were appointed, who were obvious heretics, who were obvious apostates, who were obviously heterodox in everything that they do? And I say obvious because it is, in fact, notorious. Everybody can see it. Now, the ones who think, oh, well, the ones who are on their side are also themselves heterodox. But the world can see the crazy that's coming out of the mouths of the cardinals and the bishops. So why would we need to actually say anything about it? It's one of the things that I actually envy about the Orthodox Church is that they just say, well, this is what Orthodox thought is. This is what the theology is. And it was settled. Not in 1960, in 960, in 660, in 460, in 60, in Anno Domini 60, it was settled. And you are not Catholic. But now everybody's waiting on some legal action. They're waiting. Well, the College of Cardinals can get together, or the bishops' conferences can get together, and they could do X, Y, and Z. Can they? Maybe. Will they? Pfft, come on. So I saw the solution. They're going to carry forward in the direction that they're going. And as much as I dislike it, I can't help but be okay with it. Because these people will dismantle the church. They will dismantle the church as we understand it. What they've put together, what they've built, they cannot, cannot be sustained. And so they will dismantle the church as we understand it, the human portion of the church. They're not going to dismantle the, the mystical body of Christ. That's not a thing, okay? We can, you can, I don't even want to hear it. They're not going to dismantle the mystical body of Christ. They are, however, going to dismantle the institution that is the Holy Roman Catholic Church. Which means the bishops can no longer be trusted to hold on to the traditions, and so we must hold on to the traditions and pass them down to our kids. Doesn't mean we're going to be able to confect the sacraments, because that's not... I don't even know how that's supposed to work out, and whatever. It doesn't even... To be blunt, it doesn't even matter. If the Japanese can make it without the sacraments for 200 years, then traditional Catholics can make it without the sacraments for 200 years. And if you can't make it without the sacraments for 200 years, well, 
you know, I can only pray for you for another few decades. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be here to pray for you for another 200 years. Unless by some accident of history, I managed to not step on my own crank and, you know, actually managed to make it into heaven. It appears to me to be that there is a time coming where we're going to have to abandon some of that legalism, some of that, well, it has to happen thus and so. Does it really? Really? You can put God in a box like that? Hmm. I suppose you can go on with your bad self on that one. I guess. But we're quickly reaching a point when we're going to actually have to look. We're going to have to look at this with eyes that aren't so hell-bent on being legal. Do I know if Pope Benedict is still the Pope? I assume that he's not which is a long, distant, and far cry from knowing. I assume that the Yahoo who's caused us so much consternation over these last nine years, who've, who has made us nearly start reaching up and yanking our hair out for, for his incapacity to be a good shepherd... I assume that he is the one that we deserve. Are they going to go back and undo all of his crap? I don't know. Can you think of anybody who would? I mean, you got, you know, Archbishop Vigano. And who else? If you can come up with more than three names from around the world, I would be impressed. And I would like you, if you can come up with more than three names, and you feel so inclined to put all of those names of the red hat, miter-wearing people, all of those names, I would like to see you put that in an email and send it to me at Caleb at RadioFreeCatholic.com. Because I would like to know if there is in fact a secret army of cardinals and bishops who are looking to go to the mat and actually fix this whole thing. And I'm not saying that to criticize Archbishop Vigano. I'm not. As much as I would like him to just go out and consecrate some bishops. But I would like him to do that because I'm an irascible type person. I'm not I'm not of a choleric, uh, humor. I'm actually much more sanguine. But I still prefer to fight rather than, well, you get the idea. The point is, we can get caught up in all the legalism, and I've seen, over the last several years, I've seen so much venom and vitriol just get slung all around social media. And I'm, I'm, I'm really not into that fight. You can hold the opinion. I can hold the opinion that Francis is a heretic, and that he's, and that that, to some level, invalidates what he does. Because it restricts, absolutely, that the only things that I... First off, the fact that he's... The fact of him being a heretic, whether he is or isn't, I'm really not trying to provoke that fight, but the fact of him being a heretic 
means that I would still only be able to follow what he teaches in line with the Catholic faith. But even if he weren't a heretic, even if he, you know, he just accidentally spouted off in the mouth from time to time, I would still be required to follow the faith. And you could put the excess weight on obedience, or you can lighten up the load of obedience. And here's where it gets really funny. They're both going to end up being true. Although, you know, I do anticipate God be like, seriously, you thought that was a good idea? You know, if you happen to err on the side of excessive obedience... Whether Pope Francis is, is a heretic is immaterial. Are you a Catholic? Are you living your life as a Catholic? Because that's what's material. Are you living your life as a Catholic? Are you teaching your children to live their lives as Catholics? Are you not abandoning them to some government who really just wants to turn them into sex objects that'll be worth being discarded once they've been used up? By the way, if you think that's overstatement, then you clearly haven't been paying that close attention to the news lately. Are your children to be used and discarded by the state, or are your children to be servants to the Most High God? That's the question that you got to ask yourself. That's the, that's the question you have to answer. Are you here for the state? Are you here for the Pope? Or are you here for God? Because so, insofar as the Pope is here for God, then you can be here for the Pope. And if he's not, well, then you can't. But God's also not going to blame you for not really being knowledgeable enough to know the difference. I mean, he's going to blame you for whatever you had an opportunity to study up on your own regarding the morals and dogmas of the uh, the morals and dogma of the church. But the nitnoid political stuff. I mean, you had saints on both sides when it came to popes and antipopes who were fighting literally with armed men across Europe. Saints on both sides of that fight. So clearly. So long as you're not excessively attached to the outcome, so long as you're not excessively attached to the idea that you need to be right, you're probably going to be fine. Are we going to unite all the clans the way Michael Matt claims? I don't know. But we could start by maybe not attacking people for prudential judgments and just backing off. And maybe we can start by figuring out what an actual prudential judgment is. But what do I know? I'm just a mechanic. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. <laughs>